We're reading this morning of suffering for being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of our Lord. Well, again, just a very warm welcome to you this morning. If you are joining us, if you are our guest, we've been looking at First Peter, and it's sort of rapidly coming to a conclusion. Uh, today, we're looking, as Bob has just read, four, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And uh, look, I don't want to labour too much this morning because I really am at danger of being very repetitious. Uh, and, and, and many of the points that we'll touch on this morning we have touched on before. And Peter is edging to the, clo- to the close of his letter and in many respects is, is really reminding and summarising some of his key points uh, to the church in what is now uh, modern um, Asia Minor. Uh, what, sorry, what, what modern-day Turkey, um, which back then was known as the Asia Minor region. So this week, I've just had a little bit of fun with alliteration and with the letter P. Um, And as I was taking lots of notes, there were lots of P words, and so some I didn't have to try too hard, and others I've worked a little bit harder. But for every kind of section, whether it's a verse or a couple of verses, I've been able to summarise it with a word that begins with P, just to make it a little bit fun and a little bit memorable, as well as the fact that this is the letter written by Peter. Um, it's the letter written by Peter to Christians who are suffering persecution and Peter is reminding the persecuted people that they are people of God. And if we kind of summarise Peter's letter, that's kind of it. It's written by Peter to persecuted believers, reminding them firstly who they are. They are the people of God. But then what does it look like to be the people of God in a persecuted environment? How do we live that out? How do we flesh that out in the world? And how do we flesh that out in the church? And that, my friends, is the, the letter of First Peter in three words that start with P. Uh, if we have a look at these verses in chapter 4, verse 12 to 19, verse 12 is a verse about preparation. It is a verse that exhorts the believer to be expectant of suffering, of persecution that is going to come uh, if you are a follower of Jesus. Verse 12 says, Dear friends, and we see again Peter's beautiful pastoral heart, dearly beloved, as it was originally translated. Uh, Peter the pastor, there's another P. There's so many P's. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange 
or happening to you. Now, this is not the first time that Peter has mentioned in his letter that the believers are suffering, but it is the first time where he says, don't be surprised. There's a sense of needing to be expectant, but almost needing to be prepared. that This indeed is going to happen. And when you're prepared for something, it's so much easier to accept, isn't it? When it's not a surprise. And you can say, well, you know what? I knew this was coming. I, I knew that it, by putting my trust and my faith in Christ would mean that at times I would actually suffer persecution for my faith. Really mindful that I don't want to cheapen um, those who are genuinely persecuted for their faith. This is something that I think in the West we have great difficulty understanding and, and really um, coming to terms with. There are indeed people in our world who live in other countries particularly who suffer serious, severe persecution, who their very lives are at risk for their faith. And this is the kind of condition and context that Peter was writing to. Uh, But even for us, there are definitely going to be times where we take a stand for our faith in Christ and that will result in persecution. It may look different, but it will be an isolation perhaps an abuse from others. And what Peter is reminding us here is don't be surprised when that happens. Almost anticipate, prepare that it is going to happen and you'll actually then be in a much better place to receive that, knowing that there is indeed a purpose for that suffering and that persecution. Now, the, the word fiery ordeal here, uh, again, this is, the, this is, Peter is using this here. He used a similar sentiment in chapter 1, verse 7, where he talks about the refiner's fire. And it's, uh, it, it's likely that Peter has a similar connotation here, although as he edges the, to the close of his letter, it may be that, you know, he's been writing about persecution that the church has been receiving from others around them but in this instance he may be more referring to the persecution that the church is receiving but also he knows will continue to receive increasingly from the state from the government uh, from those above them from the likes of Nero the emperor as well as subsequent emperors who will continue to persecute the church but if we jump ahead and look at verses 17 and 18, uh, there's this this whole notion of suffering uh, and refinement. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's quoting from Proverbs 11.31 there. Now, what Peter is, I think, talking about here is purification. Purification. And it's that whole notion of the refiner's fire that we saw in chapter 1, verse 7. And what God is going to do is he's going to purify his church first. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And when we see that word judgment... In this context, at this moment, it would appear that it's not so much the condemnation of judgment, but the sifting of the faithful and the genuine that Peter has in mind. Commentators suggest that in these verses, uh, 
Peter has Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3 in mind. I'm not going to read both of those chapters. You can do that in your own time. But in both Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3, there is a a prophetic word spoken about the purification of God's church. There is a time of judgment that is coming, but before that judgment begins on the world, that judgment, that purification process is going to begin with God's own church, his temple. It's going to begin with the priests, it's then going to move to the people, and then it's going to go out. And this is a process of refinement. And I think of that song, Refiner's Fire, Purify My Heart. Many of you will know that song. And it's all about the holiness of God. And what God desires for his people is a holy people. And so he will purge us of the sin in our lives that prevents us from reflecting the holiness of God. And, and what this is all, I guess this, is, this, this whole section of sifting and purification is to say that God is using the trials and the tribulations and the persecution that these believers are going through and indeed that you and I will go through to refine our faith because it is only in the face of fire and trial and tribulation for our faith that our faith is put to the test and it is proved genuine and authentic. If somebody's faith is not genuine and authentic, when trial and tribulation and persecution come, they walk away. And they say, I didn't sign up for this. And we see that in the Scriptures. We see many people falling away as they journey with Jesus and they begin to realise, this isn't what I signed up for. They want to be a fan, but not a follower, as I saw on the sign at Greenpoint Baptist Church this week. They're doing a series. Oh, that's great. So many people want to be fans of Jesus, but not followers. And what persecution does is it sifts out the fans. And it gives people a moment of decision to say, am I really genuine about this? Am I going to stick with Christ? Because it's going to come at a cost. And that's the process. And as as God allows the persecution to purify his church, what it does is it means that what is left is true and genuine faith. So friends, when you experience persecution in your life, See it as an opportunity to be purified for your faith to become more genuine. Jesus predicted that his church would suffer and Peter was at the table. John 15 is the upper room. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples the night before he was betrayed. And I have no doubt that Peter has these words in his mind as he writes this letter. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. That process of purification. Verse 13 is a verse that speaks about participation. Participation means to join in with what is happening. Last week I mentioned about sitting on the sidelines. But when you're participating, you've actually stepped off the sidelines. You are in the game, so to speak. Now, the context that Peter is writing in is not a good situation. It's a difficult game to be in. But nevertheless, there is blessing in participation. Verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is a similar sentiment to what the Apostle James writes in chapter 1. And it seems strange Now, it's not the suffering in and of itself that we rejoice in. It's the reason why we suffer that we can rejoice in. When we suffer for our faith, we can rejoice in the very fact that our faith is being proven real and genuine and that we indeed have a faith. What Peter also wants us to appreciate here is that when we suffer for Christ, we suffer with Christ. And many times it's not actually you that people are persecuting, it is Christ in you. You've chosen, Christ has chosen you and you've chosen to make Christ your primary goal, your your aim, your objective, your Lord and your Saviour. And so whenever you are persecuted for your faith, Christ is being persecuted. And what's happening in that moment is participation in the suffering of Christ. Now, there's something very unique that happens through shared experience. If you think about some of your deepest, most meaningful relationships The reason that they are so is because of the shared experiences you've had. I'm reading a book at the moment called Band of Brothers. uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg made a series some years ago. Uh, It's a tremendous series. I enjoyed it so much, but I'm reading the book now. And it's about the bond that these um, American soldiers formed in battle. And there's something about shared experience, whether, and sometimes those shared experiences are going through the fire, going through the trials. Sometimes they're wonderful experiences, but there's something that happens when, sh- when shared experiences take place. They forge relationships. And so when we share an experience with Christ in his suffering, that actually forges a deeper connection and relationship with Christ, our faith becomes more real. But what Peter is wanting to remind his readers of here is, okay, at the moment you are participating in the suffering and the persecution of Christ. And there is a time for that. Obviously for Christ, he paid the ultimate price on the cross. But Peter wants to remind his readers that Christ is victorious. 
that Christ has overcome sin, has overcome death, and that indeed, just as we suffer with Christ in his pain and agony, we will equally rejoice with Christ in his victory and the goodness of God when Christ redeems all of his children and everything is put right and God justly judges and all who have put their trust in Jesus will live and reign with him. And that's a wonderful encouragement. That is what we rejoice in. Jesus in John 16 uses the image of childbirth and it's it's brilliant. It's hard to, to top it because here in this moment of birthing forth this beautiful baby is an incredibly intense period or moment of terrible pain and suffering and grief. But that suffering that a woman goes through is not without purpose. And in fact, the only reason she can get through the labour and the pain of that experience is knowing that there's a beautiful baby at the other end. And that pain is transformed into great joy. That's a beautiful image. And it's the image, I believe, that Peter wants to express and convey to those who are suffering for their faith to be reminded that this is not in vain, that joy will come, and indeed it is coming. We see this, again, from Peter's own life. He writes very personally in Acts 4.1.41, the apostles have been brought to the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel, and they'd just been flogged in verse 40. And then in verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And verse 42 said they continued to proclaim the name of Jesus day after day. They continued to rejoice in their suffering because they knew that there was joy coming and they could rejoice in that. And that's what Peter is wanting to convey In verse 14, we hear about perspective. And again, it's that whole upside-down thinking, the upside-down kingdom of God where we expect one thing and, and get a totally different thing to what we would normally think. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's much to the same point as the other one. You are blessed not because life is cruisy and you avoid being noticed and being questioned and challenged as a believer. In this instance, we see that blessing actually comes as a result of being known as a follower of Christ. That's blessing. It's, it's that whole upside down. It's a totally different perspective, isn't it, of what we often, in particularly in the West, perceive blessing to be. If I have a life of comfort, knees, and prosperity, surely I must be blessed. And if we're a believer, we will often attribute all of that to God and say, God has been so good to me. That's actually not what the Scriptures teach. True spiritual blessing is knowing in your heart of hearts 
through the most difficult and troubling of times that the Spirit of God rests on me. Period. That's true blessing. Don't you just love that phrase, the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What a beautiful image. And that capital S Spirit is absolutely referring to the Holy Spirit. And there is a sense in this that those who suffer for their faith, that God will be especially close to them, as if there's an extra portion of His Spirit that rests upon them and enables them to withstand the fiery trials that they are undergoing. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Brothers and sisters, when you go through a difficult time for your faith, you are blessed when you know that the Spirit of God and God's favour rests upon you. And just the very knowledge of that will give you the courage and the capacity to stand. The next verse I've called profession. And by that, I don't mean where you go to work. I mean what you say, what you profess to believe. Peter says in 15 and 16, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Firstly, we need to be really clear. When we are suffering, when we are experiencing persecution, it's really important that we are clear on why. And I've read there are three different ways that we can suffer. We can suffer, firstly, because of silly mistakes that we make, our own sins, our own rebellion to God, and choices that we make that end up having circumstances that are difficult. That's the first type of suffering that we can receive. The second kind of suffering that we can experience is when we are sinned against. When people do things to us, they abuse us, they persecute us, um, we suffer. And thirdly, we suffer because we live in a broken and sinful world. And there are, there are natural um, tragedies that, that happen in this world. And there are things that happen because we live in a broken world that are going to cause us to experience Suffering. What Peter is really saying out here is there's already so much suffering that you just experience in this world from those last two categories, sins committed against you by others and sins that you'll experience just from living in a broken and fallen world. Make sure that you don't suffer because of the first. Make sure that you avoid suffering because of your own sinful rebellion against the holy God. Does that make sense? That's what Peter's saying. Make sure that you're doing everything within your capacity to live a life that is blameless before God so that any suffering you encounter is not coming as a result of your own sin, but indeed it comes as a result of the sin of others and the sin of the state of the world that we live in. 
where he says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, this is really interesting for a few reasons. Uh, Firstly, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. This is one of them. It is not a phrase that Christians gave of themselves. The Gentiles called Christians Christians, and it meant a Christ one, a follower of Jesus. Uh, And in in a sense, to be called a Christian uh, at this time... Was, was meant to be, it was meant to be a phrase that shamed people. It was a, an honour-shame culture. And in this society, to be kind of shamed was a terrible thing. It was more than just being criticised. It was to have your whole person brought into question, to try and isolate you. And this is very personal for Peter because remember, Peter himself denied the Lord. He was indeed himself ashamed of following Jesus. And he knows what it's like. He's come out on the other side. And I guess, firstly, he wants to, he wants to remind his readers that this is actually a title you ought to be proud of. Like if someone calls you a follower of Christ, even though their intent is to shame you with what they're saying, the very fact that someone has identified you as a follower of Christ means you're doing something right. It means that there's a tangible difference about who you are and the way you're living your life. So, my brothers and sisters, if you are called a Christian, rejoice in that very fact. And take pride in the fact that that's who you are. I had a friend, a good friend, who came to Christ, which was wonderful after many years of, of friendship and prayer. And he put his faith in Christ, but the, the one thing he struggled with for many years, and he's overcome that hurdle, but the one thing he struggled with for many years was identifying himself as a Christian. And the reason for that is because he'd had so many negative experiences of Christians who gave Christianity a really bad name. And what he found was that the person of Christ was so different to the Christians that he'd experienced. And now everyone's going to be different. I personally have grown up with some wonderful men and women of God who would happily identify themselves as Christians, which meant that I didn't have that particular hurdle to overcome. But I think particularly for those who have not grown up in the family of God, certainly for those who have, yes, there are many who have had very negative experiences with Christians. And we can somehow want to distance ourselves a little bit from this. I think it's important that we remember what the word actually means. It means a follower of Jesus. And I want to invite all of us and encourage all of us to be the type of Christian that others look at and go, wow, there is something remarkably good and different about this person. Don't be a Christian that puts other Christians off. (laughs) Does that make sense? Be the kind of Christian that, that actually makes Christians go, wow, that's what a follower of Christ looks like. Be a Christian that inspires people. And when people call you a Christian, rejoice that you've been identified as a Christ follower. I love this quote from John Piper. 
Glorifying God means showing by your actions and attitudes that God is the most glorious thing to you, that he is valuable, precious, desirable, and satisfying. The greatest way to show that someone satisfies your heart is to keep on rejoicing in them when all other supports of your satisfaction are falling away. When you keep rejoicing in God in the midst of suffering, it shows that God, not other things, are more important to you, more satisfying to you, and the greatest source of your joy. Isn't that wonderful? Men and women of faith, I know Peter is stressing this, but if you suffer for your faith, rejoice because it proves that God is your greatest worth. And you are choosing to put him and following him first in your life. Verse 19 is a a call to persevere, to keep going. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, this is a real sort of slap on the back. Keep on keeping on. (laughs) I love it when you do that. Many of you do that to me, and it's such an encouragement. And we need to do it to one another. Keep on keeping on. This is who you are. Be a faithful and true follower of Christ. And as you keep on keeping on, you express your trust in the faithfulness of God. As you keep on keeping on, you demonstrate that there is a joy that you are experiencing in the moment because you know that you are being refined, that your faith is being purified, that you may be found worthy on the day that Christ returns. Uh, But also you are rejoicing in the fact that your salvation is coming, it is at hand, and there is so much to look forward to when the labour pains are past. 1 Peter 4.19, keep on keeping on, persevere in your faith. So 1 Peter 4, 12 to 9, preparation, where to be expectant of suffering for Christ. And when we do, we see it's a time of purification because we'll be proven genuine in our faith. When we suffer, we participate with Christ in his suffering and that's an opportunity to share experience with Christ and deepen the bond of that relationship. Suffering for Christ is a blessing because the Spirit of God rests upon you. And this is the perspective that we're to have as believers. To profess that Christ is Lord and Saviour is to be a Christian. Be who you say you are. Be a follower of Christ. Profess his name proudly and know that he is with you. And as an expression of your trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of Creator God, persevere in the faith. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 to 9. Let's pray. Lord, as we come this morning and just consider these verses on suffering, Lord, we are very mindful that there are people in this world who do indeed suffer severe persecution for their faith. Persecution that for many is life-threatening. And we actually want to come and uphold 
those brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you for organisations and ministries like Open Doors who work with the persecuted church. We pray that you would equip and resource them with everything they need to continue to minister to those who do suffer. And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen the faith of believers right across this world who suffer for their faith in Christ. Some have had to flee for fear of persecution and losing their lives. Others have been abandoned and rejected by their own family. Others have lost employment and important relationships. And we thank you for these people who have counted the cost, whose faith has been refined and found genuine. And as an expression of love for the body of Christ, we pray for all of those who we don't know by name or circumstance, but you do. And we pray this morning that they might know the incredible blessing of having the knowledge that your spirit rests upon them. God, I pray that you might embolden us as your followers to live lives that demonstrate the goodness and the grace and the holiness of our God that others might see the difference in us. And Lord, we know that that will draw and attract some, that some will want to inquire as we live such good lives among those who are far from you and we'll have the opportunity to share our our hope and our faith. And we pray that you would draw people to you and draw people to you through us as we seek to live lives that glorify you. But Lord, we also know that the reality is as we seek to be faithful and live out your ways and your will in this world, that is going to be an offence to some and it will repel some. And that might at times cause us to suffer persecution and isolation. And God, I pray that in these moments we would remember your word to stand firm to rejoice in the fact that we have been identified as those who follow Christ, who bear his name. And Lord, may we rejoice in the reality that you are coming, that you will return, and that suffering is not forever, but there is an end, and we thank you that you have won the victory. And so we just reaffirm ourselves to you this morning as your people, Come what may, may you refine us through the purifying fire of your spirit and may we stand and be found faithful. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.